Okay. Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're available online worldwide where you can stream us live and in the moment at radionorthland.org. And we also are available via TuneIn. That's a free app for your phone. And if you can't catch Rasslin Memories live and in the moment on 90.1 FM or online, you can go to our website and listen to this. Uh, uh, we'll archive it. We'll have that and uh, over six years of Rasslin Memories episodes. Well, my guest is a returning guest to Rasslin Memories and more. He was uh, here at the beginning of 2018. He was talking about some of the things he's been doing. We caught up with him and his life and some of the uh, charitable endeavors he's been uh, working with. Well, now we're a couple of months removed, and we're getting an update uh, on our guest. And he's involved now, and in not only uh, in the pro wrestling world, but behind the scenes, he's got a big pro wrestling show coming up on May the 5th. And we're going to talk about that show and his budding musical career. And at the end of the program, we're going to play his uh, single. So we got a whole lot to catch up with, and it's always an honor and a pleasure to welcome back second-generation superstar, Mr. Sam Houston, to Rasslin' Memories. Welcome back, Sam. Good to have you aboard, my friend. Well, thank you so much. You know, and I appreciate you, you, you having me back on, you know. I, I, I guess we had such a good time the first time. we got to do more. Yes, indeed. Uh, we just had to find the right time and the right booking because you, my friend, uh, you've been quite, quite busy. And, and before we get into the pro wrestling talk, uh, one area we did talk about is some of the things that you've been helping out with people, you know, whether it be uh, little or small things, just, you know, the rather charitable side you've been able to show and kind of pay it forward. What else have you been up to since we, we last caught up in January on that end, on your, your pay it forward initiative to help out people in need? Well, uh, you know, uh, with the with uh, the, the the lady with the ramp, Habitat for Humanity has stepped in, and they have made her their highest priority. Uh, so I, we couldn't be more happier than that. I, it, it, it was it, it was amazing. I mean, it, it was beautiful the way it happened. Uh, you know, I, I uh, we started the uh, we started the uh, GoFundMe uh, page. Uh, had two freezes. Teresa busted her pipes several times. We were able to make repairs on that, and then I we we fell way short of the amount that we needed for the for the ramp. And you know, twice uh, I went to church, and the message was the same: be bold and courageous in my faith. You know, and uh, I was sitting at home, and I just you know, it was kind of like, well, I'm not going to take it no more. You know, the enemy was trying to beat me down. And 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 uh, take my self esteem or my self worth away, maybe I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, the message two weeks in a row was be bold and courageous, and nobody kicks down doors like Sam Houston does. So I kicked down a few doors, went to a few TV stations, uh, set up an account for uh, at Home Depot for materials, uh, uh, got it everything up all put together, went to Habitat for Humanity, talked to the ladies there. Uh, now, the first day, they wouldn't even let me in the door. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of intimidating at six foot three, six foot four, and two and a quarter, I guess, you know, but they wouldn't even let me in the door. They hand me an application through it. So I went home that night, or not home, I went to uh, Teresa's and, and spoke and prayed with her over it. And then the next morning, uh, I went back over and picked Teresa up, and we were going back to the television station, and we stopped at uh, Habitat for Humanity first, and I showed her, I showed them 
the uh, my phone, which I had done a, a film clip on, and when I showed him that and I told him the story, uh, the the lady they even though it was the wrong parish and Teresa was five years too young, uh, you know she's a double amputee breast cancer survivor, you know, and she's mm-hmm. been turned over to hospice, so um, uh, they made her their highest priority. Oh, that, 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 that's so, amazing. I mean, you know, you know, it's all him. God did that. You know, uh, I was just a mouthpiece a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we got to give him all the glory and all the praise on that one. Mm-hmm. You know, and then uh, and now I've got this event here I'm doing. I, I met uh, I met Everly Ledbetter uh, a couple of uh, well. Gosh, about about uh, two months ago, she's a four-year-old uh, leukemia patient. She's undergoing chemotherapy. Well, uh, I lost a, a, a very close well, family member. He would have been my stepson. Uh, uh, hold on just a second. I'm sorry, I have to use my machine. Uh, no, I had to. Uh, I was doing an event in uh, Whitesboro, Texas, my father's hometown for the boy that would have been my stepson. Uh, he, we lost him in September in a fiery car crash. Um, and I wanted to do something for the family. So we were doing an event for, for him. And then I met Everly. So we've, con- we've combined the two and, uh, we're doing an event May the 5th in Whitesboro, Texas. Yes. Uh, and then now you're, you're starting up uh, your own wrestling federation kind of within uh, this, uh, this very well, wonderful, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I've been looking around. I've been looking around, you know, and I'm impressed with a few places. Like, I was very impressed, and, and I was glad to have the opportunity at WXW for Alpha, you know, the Wild Samoan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, I was blessed with the opportunity to get back in the ring and wrestle for his organization, and I, you know, and I helped it out. I, I brought, I, I believe, I brought his his talent up to a, a higher level. Uh, you know, I was able to work out with some of the guys at the school and then, uh, and then in some in different and different ones, uh, in the ring, I got a hold of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have uh, nothing but the highest respect for office training methods and, and, and the guys he, he, uh, and the guys he puts out there, you know, uh, and then also the wildcat wrestling out of South Louisiana, See, I'm not, I don't know too many of the independent wrestlers today. Um, I, I, everybody wants to dress up like somebody. There's no wrestlers anymore. You know, I'm looking for athletes. I'm looking for wrestlers. Not, you know, I'm sure every once in a while, you know, somebody that, uh, you know, paints their face or this, that, or the, I don't have any problems with every, anybody. But you got like uh, 16 guys on an event. And nine of them have face paint on. Where's the uh, where's the uniqueness? You know, nobody's special anymore. No, and that's the th- that's the thing that really it does bog bog down certain uh, independents uh, and even some of the, the the bigger companies today is uh, finding characters and finding guys that are not only athletic but who can break the mold and not just follow that same old cliche. And you, you know, know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just finding that originality. You know what sells tickets? What sells tickets is personal grudges and everything. Not, 
you know, I'm sure they're in there toying with like all this stuff on the storylines and everything else. And so much emphasis is put on that. No, the emphasis needs to go back on the work in oh, the ring. 100%. Not the, you know, he said, she said, be it, you know. And I think that's what people are kind of. I mean, that's just the way I feel. Well, and then I think that's what a lot of other people feel too, who who have kind of grown, you know, have have found the product that the main, uh, you know, the WWE product. Maybe they don't find it uh, as as fruitful, or maybe they find it a bit stale. So I mean, the lifeblood, and it's been showing in certain portions in certain parts of the country that there are some really good independent stars out there. It's kind of a wheat from chaff situation, but if you look forward, I mean, look look a little bit when beneath, you do find the talent out there. But again, you do have to sift through a lot of the, the wannabes that uh, are there just for you know for their own sort of thing and to make four or five of their friends impressed because they're they're in the ring wearing an outfit or they've bought their way into a, a promotion yeah, yeah. yeah i sit there all the time and, and laugh you know i mean you know well you just don't know i mean only anderson and arn anderson when you paid to go see an event with the horsemen and stuff like that you know uh I mean, when you walked away, you were satisfied. And and this was, and I'm and I'm talking about when it was like territorial, you know, when you were wrestling in town. Like if you were wrestling in Norfolk, Virginia, when the wrestling fans left the matches at the scope, they were satisfied. Now you're in the National Guard Armory with 112 people, you know, and you've got a dog and pony show, the uh, you know, and so. Completely transparent, you know, uh, nothing, nothing to do with wrestling at all. More, more along the lines of Carney, uh, uh, Carnival. Um, oh gosh, you know, Carnival Entertainment. Mm, just, you know, and you're just trying to pass stuff. that off, and you're trying to pass that off as a major, uh, major wrestling, blah, 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 you know, company organization. You know, I don't want to do that. I want to have a free agent company. Uh, now the, the 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 wrestlers will either be invited or accepted on, uh, mm-hmm. and you know you're going to have to be in shape. You're going to have to know your skills, you know, and not just anybody with a pair of kick pads is going to get in my ring. And that's a good criteria. That, and that's a good criteria to have, though. And, and that's just, I mean, you're you're putting yourself out there. You're putting your name out there, and you're also, you know, in establishing this pro wrestling uh, your, your own hey, little company. You know, you know, let me just ask one question, okay? You, you know, people say I, I don't. I, okay, I'm very honored when people call me a legend and this, that, and the other. I, you know, I'm not in anybody's hall of fame, but I've got things that are. That I've got displays in museums. You know. I got a pair of my boots on eBay for uh, that are some guys trying to sell. They were in a museum for 30 years. He wants $12,500. My wrestling boots that I have made, my my last pair of wrestling boots I had made are $1,100. And you got a guy that wants to spend $35 on a pair of used ASIC uh, wrestling shoes and then put some $15 pads on on with, with his mom's yoga pants and call himself a professional wrestler. I'm sorry, I'm not going to have it. I'm going to slap you down and kick you out of my damn ring. Now, do you remember when I'm you... sorry, I just kind of went on an interview, didn't I? Oh, I you, did a uh, promo. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Sam. That's just second nature to you, though. That's just that pro wrestling oh, yeah, instinct, yeah, I man. I cool and dig all jive. That's the reason I stay alive. My motto is I live and learn, dig and be dug in return, you know? 
Beautiful. That that's what I like right there. I want to talk about though. Do you do you remember when how you got your first gear and 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 the place you went to get your gear? I mean, the boots and all of that. I mean, because nowadays you talk about yeah, guys come in with kick pads and old ASIC ASIC uh, wrestling shoes. But do you remember when you first uh, got that and that satisfaction of getting your first quality pair of pro wrestling boots and gear and and, and having not only you're you're owning your your persona as a pro wrestler. Let's talk about when you got your stuff. What was that like? That feeling. Well, oh, oh, it was great. Um, okay, you know, I had to run away from home and and and, and busted, but I had gotten my wrestling before I had my post training to be a wrestler before I had my tonsils taken out. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I got stretched the old fashioned way. I got sugared out a couple of times, this, that, and the other. But the guy who wrestled uh, that you know stretched me was George Weingroff. George Weingroff, here's what, what really helped me, I think, and this is one of the things that propelled me. George Weingroff was legally blind, so he wrestled by feel, not by sight. And having the opportunity to, to, to be in there and learn to shoot like that, was, was he hooked me twice. Oh, I mean, I, just, I didn't tap out. He put me out. Um I didn't tap out. I, I hung on, you know, and then he put me out twice. But uh, but I went through it. Well, I had all my gear, and then it was after uh, after my surgery that now it took a year to get my weight back up. My dad said no. But when I first got my gear, you know, I was seventeen year old kid. Wow, you know, my wrestling boots. And yeah, boy, I put my, you know, uh, I didn't, you know, I would put them on and wear them to work out. Uh, you know, in, in the little gym that we had, and I'd put them on, and uh, and every time after I go, because I was setting the rings up. After I set the ring up for an event, I'd go put my boots on and get in there, and you know, bounce around some. Oh, it's cool, you know. Oh, it's, it sounds like a trip. And you know what? You're getting your boots on. Not only you're working on the promotion and the backside of things to put this event together uh, for All Pro uh, Wrestling League coming up on uh, May the 5th, but you're in the main event, my friend, and uh, you're putting your boots on, and you're taking on a young guy by the name of uh, Kojak Sly. And now this sounds like a, an interesting way to get back into the ring, but uh, you, you're ready to go. You got the boots shined up. You you, you in, in check for this main event? Well, yeah, um, you know, I, I, oh gosh, uh, okay, I, I've been running. I, I mean, I mean, I run ninety to nothing all the time. My days started like five thirty in the morning, usually don't end till about eleven thirty or twelve o'clock at night. You know, um, Kojak Sly, I've seen him. I've seen him wrestle uh, for Wildcat wrestling a couple of times. I'm impressed with him. Over here in East Texas, though. I had wrestled uh, Prince Alpharat a couple of times, and I know he wants a piece of me, but you know he he didn't get the job done in East Texas, you know. And I'm all about I'm all about progressing forward, you know, moving on. So I wanted a little bit more competition than than uh, than I figured that he would provide for me. So he he's spending the money to bring uh, Kojak Sly in from Wildcat Wrestling. This guy's about 6'5", 275 maybe. Uh, it, I've seen people beating on him, and he just looked like a piece of iron. So I'm just hoping maybe I could get near. No, I, I kind of <laughs> got a strategy all, all, all planned up. You know, my strategy is I know, I know I'm 54 years old, but I'm ranked number 79 in the world. 
uh, this happens wrestling down there at WXW and uh, uh, Larry's at the group that Larry Zabisco is affiliated with. Mm-hmm. We love wrestling or something. But um, uh, th- this fella, well, I'm ranked number 79 in the world. What I figure I'm going to need to do is go in there quick. Uh, I'll have probably about five or six minutes before I get gassed the first time and I'm out of wind. Uh-huh. You know, and then it's going to take me about three or four minutes to get my wind up, so I'm going to have to hang on. And then after that, I, then, then he'll be gassed. And then that's when I take him out. Mm. When he's got that first time he loses his wind. You know, and what I'll do is I'll go ahead and I'll shine myself up real good, make myself look like a a, a nice, uh, nice shiny silver ring or a big diamond, you know, uh-huh. and then uh, and then just hang on and take what he can give. And then when he wears himself out, you know, do what I do. Absolutely, Sam. Uh, I'm looking at this card. Uh, some of the uh, the people that you have featured on the bill for it includes a guy that you uh, you worked with uh, in the 1990s in the Dallas uh, area, uh, and a guy who uh, made his uh, fame uh, to a degree on ESPN when you guys are working with Global. And also, uh, you've worked with him in other uh, federations within the Dallas area. I want. I'm talking about the rugged Rod Price, and Rod's going to be. Uh, looks like he's going to be making an appearance at your show. Uh, you and Rod go back. Man, this is a relationship that goes back to those days of the sportatorium. Man, let's talk a little bit about your connection to uh, the California stud, Rugged Rod Price. Well, you know, we have always had uh, mutual respect for each other. We had some epic battles. You know, uh, I, you know, I was remembering it the other night. I mean, when Akbar Akbar lit my face on fire, half my face got burned off back then, way back then. Uh, they had to peel it off of the Dallas Burns. It was horrible. Um, anyway, uh, Rod, you know, helped me that night. Well, after I got out of prison, uh, and everything, I, you know, I've turned my life around after I got out of prison and uh, Rod and I got together and, uh, started going to church, you know, you know, and so many times with addiction, oh, this is now we're going to get down to helping people out a little bit. When it comes to addiction and things like that, as far as like being a professional wrestler and in the business that we were in and everything, when I was first starting AA, I couldn't really find a sponsor to talk to because uh, sponsors would never understand how it is, you know, because you don't understand the business. Well, um, uh, so, you know, I, I would use Ted DiBiase and call him and talk to him when I was really in a bad way. Well, after I got out of prison, me and Rod, we were able to start talking and discussing stuff, you know. And we got along before, but now, you know, we started getting along even better. Uh, and then Rod had my back in East Texas, uh, those couple of shows I worked over there. We, we, I think we've done three or four together. And uh, first of all, I'm not scared to walk anywhere. But it's even better when you got somebody that you know is there to watch your back if you need it. You know, it's just nice to know. I've been in a lot of situations where nobody's had your back. Oh, nobody's had my back. Mm-hmm. But Rod's there, and, and, and he's doing Matter of fact, he even called me yesterday and told me uh, he's feeling pretty good now. That shoulder's feeling pretty good, and uh, he just might want to jump in there, too. 
Oh man, when I hear about I saw him, yeah, I saw him lay a guy with a clothesline out. What uh, about a, six weeks ago? Eight weeks ago, he laid a guy out with a clothesline. That guy was down for eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to be appearing. Rod, Rod's going to be at the show here. Uh, you know, when, when I think about it, you mentioned Skandar Akbar, uh, and you worked with him uh, quite a bit there for a while in in, in the nineties uh, down in, in the Texas territory uh, for NWA Dallas. Uh, uh, what was that like working with such a legend? I mean, you've you've been around with legends being a second generation guy, but what can you remember just working w- with Scandor uh, during that period of time uh, down there in in Texas? I mean, this was uh, uh, he was a wrestling god down there, but uh, you were able to work with him, and we'll talk about a few well, other see, guys. I've known Akbar, yeah, I've known Akbar all my life, just about. I mean, Akbar and Danny Hodge were the uh, oh gosh, they were the NWA tag team champions in 69 and that's when akbar turned the people used to love akbar he was danny hodges tag team partner and then uh they lost the belts in shreveport louisiana and uh when the referee went to hand the belts to the to the other team akbar snatched one of the belts out of it and uh and hit hodge with it and and laid hodge out you know well anyway so i've been around akbar all my life um and you know and it's been such an honor for me in my life i've been around everybody i've been graced in the presence of everybody i've been in the ring with everybody that's you know the the everybody that is considered the greatest um you know it's it's hard i guess it's hard to describe i mean for me it was everyday life Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm You know, and another guy that passed, yeah. and then, you know, another guy that passed away here recently, Sam, that you uh, worked with in, in, you know, in the Mid Atlantic area. We want to talk a little bit about was uh, Paul Jones, a guy that uh, was legendary in the pro wrestling ring. But around the time, you know, of when wrestling had its big expansion, Paul had you know shied away from uh, active in ring competition and became more of a manager. And you worked with him more, you know, as well in uh, when he was in the managerial side with the Paul Jones Army. But Paul Jones, he passed away here recently. He was a guy for a Texas boy uh, that came up through Paul Bosch that ended up uh, you know lighting things up in the Carolinas and Florida and, and and you guys crossed paths uh early on in your pro wrestling career. Right. Well, uh Paul, okay, Paul, um gosh, I've known him all my life too. You know, guys like Paul Jones and Nelson Royal, I grew up with these guys. That's what I'm saying. Uh my mom, uh, I remember <laughs> that used to make my dad so you know, my dad was a Grizzly Smith, you know. Uh-huh. So, but my mom would just, oh, she'd just light up when Paul Jones came on TV. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, she, I mean, she thought Paul was a good-looking guy. And he was, you know. But Paul was always a, a gentleman, as, like Akbar. These athletes back then, I mean, they conducted them, themselves as professionals. They, they always acted and, and treated you, uh, you know, treated you. With respect, uh, they 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 acted the part, and and they were the part of a gentleman. Um, Paul Jones, you know, especially the, my time working with Paul. Paul was great, and then uh, we worked with the Atlantic Coast together a little bit for Frank Dusick and uh, and uh, I guess uh, oh gosh, Ron Fuller was there. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed Paul. Paul was great. Mm-hmm. We're going to go back to uh, your your show coming up here on May the 5th. Uh, 
uh, yes, down there in the great state of Texas. Uh, another gentleman that's going to be on the card, and he's been around the uh, the independent ranks down in the South for many years, and he recently got, uh, got his uh, moment uh, uh, a mainstream pro wrestling press when he was the NWA world champion, and you're uh, able to uh, have him featured on your show. I'm talking about a guy uh, who's, who's you know taken father time to the to the mat a few times, Mr. Tim Storm. Yes, he's going to be here. Uh, I'm glad that he offered and he, he he's put his hand out there. Tim Storm, Andy Dalton, uh, all these guys. You know, uh, I don't know that many of the, the the don't I don't know that much of the talent here. And uh, you know, I'm impressed with what I've got. Uh, Tim Storm is is definitely worth all the credentials. We're I know we're looking at. Uh, the invitations being sent out to to all the top stars that are they'll be in Vegas. I mean, uh, um, this weekend I know that uh, I know that they're looking at Cahagas because what I've done, as long as I'm I'm an active competitor, uh, I'm not going to make any any decisions as far as who I face. I'll let Rod and James Beard. Uh, I'll let those two, you know, come together and 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 figure out. Uh, then, yeah, that way to, to to keep it, you know, to keep it, I guess, to keep it real. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, yeah, you know? and, and you've got guys like James Beard. I mean, uh, you want to talk about another guy who's been such a, a presence in, in the pro wrestling business in the South, and he's done some man, stuff in Japan, still, he man. Count, he, he still counts in Roman numerals. <laughs> oh, I would not doubt it, but you yeah, know what? Uh, James is like one of the best referees ever. He can count in Roman numerals, y'all. He's been around that long. <laughs> I love saying that. Yeah, it, it all seri- but all serious, you know, all kidding aside, in all seriousness, uh, James Beard. I mean, this guy. I mean, I used to remember, remember turning on the, uh, you know, the ESPN Global Show and seeing him in the ring. I mean, he still has a good head of hair, but back then he had an even more fabulous head of hair. But yeah, that head of hair and that guy who was always on top of things in the in the ring and has he really had such a, a has such a Curried such great favor among guys behind the scenes for his his help at, you know and expertise in projects. So you know James has just been a guy who who has an open ear and a guy that can give you advice as well. Right, I love James to death. I mean, uh, he's a very close personal friend, not just a cohort, not a worker, not this Saturday. You know, he's a brother, he's a friend. Mm-hmm. And. You know? uh, and I and I mess with James a lot over age and stuff like that, you know. But it's kind of like I used to I used to hear James on the radio <laughs> <laughs> when wrestling was on the radio. <laughs> oh. oh, he's gonna kill me in Vegas! <laughs> oh my! And, and you're t- you're mentioning Vegas here, uh, and we're we're we're, we're uh, talking. Uh, is it we're talking about the Cauliflower Alley Club uh, as we're 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 interviewing today? That's coming up here. You're going to be uh well by the time this is airing, you're going to be out in Las Vegas. And it was just about a few years ago uh, you uh, you kind of uh, made a splash over in the CAC. I remember seeing pictures online of you uh, there at the matches and at some of the the extracurricular stuff. And even got to meet Chris. You got to shake hands with Chris Christopherson, whose son was uh, working uh, in the ring at that time. So let's talk about the CAC, the, the past, your past association with the CAC, and uh, coming up here, uh, well, as we're uh, talking today, your uh, plans for to uh, head out to Vegas. Well, uh, you know, okay, when I first got out of prison, uh, you know, nobody really was, you know, behind me. You know, it's kind of like nobody really, you know, 
nobody believed him. He had an ex-con. I just got out, you know. And uh, I made it out to Vegas. And the fans and, and the people there that believed in me. You know, and they gave me an opportunity. These are the brothers of my my brothers. These are guys in the dressing room. These are guys I grew up with. This is my family, the wrestling family. And I got out there, and I had the opportunity to get in the ring with Sin Bodhi. You know, and Sin Bodhi is my brother's best friend and stuff like that. And my Jake was back there kind of watching. Well, I went out there. I hadn't been in the ring in seven years for for a match. I had gone up to the Carolinas, and you know, I wanted to work out in the ring with my daughter because she's wrestling now. So I wanted to work out with her and make sure she had the tools that she needed. If she needed a, to actually go beyond getting her three and to put somebody down, I wanted to make sure she could do that. I'm satisfied with knowing that now she can um, but I worked out with her at 50 years old when I first got out of prison. When I get I got in the ring, I did a backflip and landed on my feet. Well, I kind of started strutting off, and she was like, "Dad, do that again." I was thinking, "Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to test, you know, the grace of God." <laughs> he made me walk away like Fonzie Watts. Don't let it, you know, don't don't mess it up. Well, yeah, Fonzie doesn't like to do the take two. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, but. Then I got the opportunity to wrestle uh, Sin Bodhi, and we were out there probably about 12, 15 minutes. And and uh, all the one of the only offensive moves, and but I did it several times over, and I established the arm drag. And the people were on their feet. When I rolled out of the ring after the match was over, Chris Christopherson stood up, and he come and got right in my face, and he pointed his finger in my nose, and he said, "You're the real." You know, he didn't say deal. He said, you're the real shit, sir. You know, and I was like, <laughs> ah. You know, all I could think of is I'd trade all my tomorrows for a single yesterday, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I went, you know, we got pictures and everything, and I got to speak with him and stuff. So, yeah, it was just a highlight of my life. And then, you know, but the CAC, the Brian Blair, Orndorff, they, they, you know, they tell me you've sold the show, you're amazing. Uh, best you know thing on the card, this, that, and the other. It, you know, and it was just, it was it was awesome for me. And then Barry Darso came up to me and he said, "Sam, all of the best matches in my career were with you." You know, uh, I was like, heavy. "Wow, man, that blew me away." And then Bret Hart the other day at WrestleMania, we were uh, at WrestleCon, we were sitting there talking, and you know, it was you know we were, we were just because we, we we both remembered the match in Lake Placid that we had, uh, New York, but it was the only time we wrestled in a singles match, you know, but, you know, but when you get in there, I've been able to be, be, I've been able to be blessed as far as being able to be in the ring with Bret Hart, you know, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, the Eddie Gilberts, Sting, Rick Steiner, Flair, Arn, Tully, Ole, you know, I've, I've been in there with everybody. Dino Bravo, The Rock, you know, I mean, Don Morocco, this one, that one, you know, Black Bar, the list goes on. You know, it's an Abdullah the Butcher. Anybody, that, just about anybody that's ever had a name in wrestling, I've, I've worked with them, you know. Uh, and, you know, people ask me all the time, what, what's, what's your, what, 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 uh, what was your best match? I can't, I can't say one best match because 
I've been in the ring with so many of the elite. Now, there's a few that I'd still like to get in there with. I'd still like to work with Shane Douglas. I'd still like to get in there with Mark uh, Undertaker. Uh, I'd like to, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of guys, you know. And I figure maybe I'll get to them. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, you talked with Bret Hart about your time in the WWF. It was just not too long ago, maybe a month, month and a half ago, that I had a guy that uh, you worked with uh, a good part of 1988, uh, early on uh, in in the WWF or WWE, however you want to refer to it as. Uh, he just put out a book here, kind of a half uh, wrestling history, half self help. I'm talking about Dangerous Danny Davis. Now, what what do you remember working with 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 Danny? Davis, a guy that uh, was known as the heel referee turned wrestler, but before he really refereed, he also did some wrestling under a mask. But what was, talk about uh, your time working with with Danny Davis because that that got on TV and that was a feud for uh, quite a few months there, and you guys took it on the road uh, through whatever level shows uh, out there in the United States and Canada. Yeah, Dan, I mean Danny was cool. Danny was great. I enjoyed it. You know, we got something coming up, I guess, in October. <coughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Danny was a, oh gosh, I'm not going to say difficult. He, working with Danny, was, it was more like a chess, chess game. You had to figure things out, you know? Um, and I'm always thinking three moves ahead when I'm in the ring. Um, uh, so, but you know, it was kind of like, uh, oh gosh, not, um, well, not so much as, uh, uh, well, you you have to remember that Danny wasn't a wrestler, so I I had to work around that part. Mm-hmm. But you made you guys you guys made it work to a degree because, uh, like I said, the, the, you guys had a few matches that were featured on TV, and uh, I guess uh, for for a guy that uh, was was more so uh, more or less a referee, uh, you you know that must have been just you know a different approach as to say working with a, a Barry Darso. Oh yeah, definitely. But it was cool. It was good, you know. Uh, and it and it kind of gave it a different, uh, a uniqueness to it. You know what I mean? Because uh, he he wasn't the the wrestler, you know. So it, it gave it a uniqueness, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, and speaking of uh, things, you you talked a little bit about it. We we touched on it, but I want to I dedicate this segment of our interview together. I want to talk about now. You you you're doing the promoting. You've been doing some really good things. You're, you've been so charitable. But you've had time uh, now to uh, kind of get into um, you know recording some of your music. Now there's a, a th- out now called Salvation. I want to talk about how you got in to evolve, involved with music. Uh, how long it's been a part of your life, and what made you decide to uh, record this, and, and what would you like to see come come out of it? Oh well, okay. Um, gosh, I've loved, I love I love music. Uh, when I was a kid, man, I you know riding in the road with the eight track, uh, you know, uh, Alabama on a cassette player with the whole nine yards. I've always liked singing. Um, but anyway, uh, that wasn't that wasn't where I was destined to go. <clears throat> However, in in the uh, gosh, I the on the when Vince got ready to do the Pile Driver album, uh, they had let me uh, go in there and record "Waking Up Alone," and I thought when when the album came out, I thought my version would be on it. Instead, Hillbilly Jim had a deal with CBS Records, so he got the deal. He got the thing with uh, waking up alone the song so 
Anyway, but I, I still like the music thing. And uh, whenever uh, Vince let me go, or no, I started I started working with some guys in the Carolinas that had a band, and we took a few of the uh, some of the lyrics that I had written and put music to them, and then went in and recorded them. I played some shows in the late '80s, early '90s, up in the Carolinas. And I always got up off stage and sang with my buddies, like, you know, David Allen Coe. I got to sing with Hank Jr. one night. Got to sing, you know, a few people here and there. Um, and it was always fun for me. So I went and I recorded uh, five songs, spent some time, recorded five songs. However, I lost everything. And uh, I lost the master copies when Hurricane Katrina hit. So the only thing I had was a, a cassette tape and my friend Chris that, that started the God's Got a Hold on Me site, uh, she found a cassette tape uh, from way, way years ago that I recorded. So those came to service. Well, the night <clears throat> I used to go to my church, well, before that, um, when my dad was here in Whitesboro, Texas, he was living out at his sister's place. And uh, I was over there visiting on a Wednesday night, and uh, I was it was a stormy night. And, you know, I was going through a lot. I was probably drinking two or three fifths of whiskey a day and, you know, just trying to get by, you know, just in a bad way, lost. And it was a Wednesday night, and a storm was coming in, and they were having their Wednesday service, and Aunt Maureen didn't let you smoke inside the house, so I was outside smoking a cigarette. And uh, I, I started, you know, getting more into involved with what was going on uh, across the road at the church. And that night I went and I gave my life to God. Uh, I got saved. You know, and at that time, it, it's not like, you know, I made a conscious decision that night, you know, to follow God and have, have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You know, it's not like when you're 12 years old and you walk up to the front to do the altar call for the free donuts. You know, I mean, I made the, the the decision. Well, I made that decision. And after I made that decision, of course, I kind of like slagged off. I mean, yeah, I, I was all up for it. And yes, and I'm a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ. But however, I wasn't living it. I was still choosing to follow my own dreams and not and not what he wanted me to do. So, you know, I kept on going in the wrestling business, kept on my drinking, kept on all that, you know, and then uh, all that ended in 2000, uh, 2000 and, uh, uh, well, I quit drinking on August uh, 29th, because the 28th, I'd had a drink, uh, 2009, and, uh, but I, I, I kind of, that's, that's when I quit all the drinking. And then I started getting real serious. And then I, when I got in prison, then I started, uh, I, I started learning. I took, I, I, I've got three college credits for the, through the American Bible Academy. I didn't graduate high school, but I got three college credits, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and anyway, uh, but I, I wrote the first three verses to the song, then I got saved. And then while I was in prison, when I see, you know, because you, you got a lot of time just to sit and observe and wait, you know, and you see things going on in the world. And I wrote the last verse while I was in prison. You know, it's a heck of a song, and I really hope it encourages people 
and I want it to I want it to empower, encourage, to strengthen, and give hope. And and fans can pick. You know, the... I know. Oh, go ahead. I, I get stronger when I feel it. When you know, start breathing deep, and yeah, <laughs> lungs get full, my shoulders roll back, and I'm ready to roll. So now, now you got this out. Now it, it, it's still available for people to pick up uh, a, a copy or, or, or of Salvation. Uh, your, your single and, and some of the music. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have some on uh, out, out there at the CACs. I know Chris is trying to put some up on the on the website to sell. Uh, actually, it's for either to sell or for donations. I'm not sure what's going on with it. Uh, we put it up on iTunes. Um, but I've already got it up on YouTube. I just want it out there. I want people to hear it, and I want to change. I want to be able to uh, uh, help people, you know, however they need it. So, if you gotta go, if you want to go to YouTube, if you want to download it on iTunes, if you want to get a autographed copy, just holler at me. And it's just uh, easy like that. Uh, we're going to get a little more into the to the wrestling here uh, while we have a little more time uh, on wrestling memories. And I, I I brought up briefly the Dallas Sportatorium. Now this was a legendary building. If we're going to talk about you know you're having a wrestling show down in Texas, let's talk about some of wrestling uh, wrestling's past in the great state of Texas. Let's talk about that building because it was made so famous by uh, the Von Ericks in the world class era. But you also had a chance to work in it with uh, Joe Petticino and Global. Uh, what was what was that like uh, working in that venue? Because it wasn't exactly the air conditioned, comfort, lush, you know, posh type of building, man. This was the school of hard knocks, and they had devoted crowds that went there. Any type of weather, any type of humidity. That's it. You know, the sport is there was there's no other place. But you know, okay, every territory had, uh, you know, had a dump like this. Yeah, the Sportatorium was, uh, uh, gosh, it was the hottest place in the summer and the coldest place in the winter. Uh, you know, uh, gosh, uh, you were in a, oh, you were in a, you were in a cooker, you know, when you were in, in wrestling in there, but it was just as famous as Madison Square Garden, you know, for the wrestling world. It was, you know, Mad the garden in Bruno San Martino he just passed the other day. He sold it out 187 times, I saw. Well, the Dallas Sportatorium uh, was basically uh, Texas's uh, Madison Square Garden. Oh, that is so yeah. so so on the head, uh, Sam, because, I mean, those the matches that have gone on, the stuff that's been documented, I mean, uh, you, you were in Global, and, you know, again, that, that was an, another company that had presence on ESPN. So, I mean, as a kid up here in Minnesota, I was watching uh, the Sportatorium through the Dallas, you know, through the, the Fritz era, even on to when you uh, took on and you were working with Global again, with matches against Bull Payne. Uh -huh, Bull Payne, Eddie Gilbert, Mike Davis, all those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, Global Global was was good. I think it was fledgling along there for a little bit. Oh, uh, I wish they could have got the uh, you know they had a good uh, they had a good format, I believe. Um, but you know it, it was just oh gosh, you know the talent was getting so so few and far between at the time, and 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 I gotta blame I blame oh. I don't want to put blame on anybody, but here's what happened in the wrestling business a long time ago. 
So people started going and getting trained, you know, in these schools and only taking three or four lessons. And then all of a sudden, then they go train their all their high school friends and they start this backyard stuff. And then everybody, then everybody in the world is a wrestler, you know? Uh, and so then people with false credentials are sending them in and trying to get somewhere. Well, uh, then they get somewhere and they're not what they claim to be, you know? And, and things like that fall down and they happen. Well, with Global, I think it was a, a point for a while they had good talent coming in. And then they were having to take just anything they could get and try to make it good. Mm-hmm. And, but does in the, that make sense? Oh, it does make sense. You know, and, and you have to see a lot of guys, you know, that were, you know, at, at the beginning when, when Pettacino and the guys, they had this money backing. You saw every star that wasn't in Vince's uh, territory or in the WWF at the time. And then you got to see a little bit more as the money started to trickle, uh, kind of fall away. You still got to see, it became more of a a Texas sort of a federation because, you know, guys like Chaz and his dad, Tug Taylor, they started to get shown a little bit more. You bring in a guy like your old running rival, Black Bart. It really became more of a a regional company as things started to wind down and the money started to kind of, uh, you know, the drip, it was starting to be less of a drip of financial gain. And you got to really see a lot of the homesteaders and, you know, like I said, like your guys like Chaz. Then Crockett bought it out. Then Crockett bought it out from Petticino. And then they tried for an end. <laughs> and you were part of the NWA Dallas thing, too, which uh, had guys, you know, I mean, you worked with, uh, you know, again, Dick yeah, Murdoch. Yeah, I, and... I was Kevin. I was Kevin Bonner's uh, tag team partner during that time. And you got to work with Dick <laughs> Murdoch, which... too. And Oh, yeah, that was great. I love working with <laughs> Oh, I got some Murdoch stories. I got a James Beard story to watch. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to tell you one, Glenn. Okay. Lay it on me, one man. Night. I've heard about Sam's ribs, okay. man. I serve them up, man. Yeah, Barbecue okay. them good. One night, one night. Okay. After the matches at the Sportatorium, we would all go to this, uh, this little club called Lockers. It was a little bitty sports bar in Mesquite. And what it was, was I went in there one night and there was nobody in there. And I was looking for some place to get something to eat on Friday nights after the matches. So the bartender said she'd keep the uh, keep it open for you. I said, how's your business here? She said, this is about it all the time. She said, you know, we hope we can keep it open longer. So I said, well, Friday night, this place will be full, cause, you know, if they'll cook for me. And I Friday that Friday night it was. I mean, whenever I left the mass, m- matches, everybody followed. We all went to lockers, and the lady had it. So that became our hangout. Well, there was this one lady that used to sit there on the corner, uh, and we we just spoke. You know, uh, n- nothing. Just nice friends. She didn't know anything about wrestling. It was kind of cool to be around somebody. You know, just that doesn't you know doesn't have any idea who you are. So. Anyway, we would sit there and talk. Well, one night I got my head opened up. So I'm I'm sitting there. Now, Bubba Monroe, earlier that night at the Sportatorium, had tried to pull a rib on me, and it, it didn't go. I didn't put it over. I forget what it was, but, it, you know, I just didn't put it over. So then I got opened up that night. So I, she said, what's, the, what's wrong with your head? I said, I got opened up. She said, oh, that's not real blood. Well, James Beard was walking to the dressing room, and he turned around and he said, not real blood, and he thumped me right in the head. And we did, boy, it just opened right back up, and now I'm a, a bloody mess. So Kim, the lady that runs the place, throws me a box of Band-Aids. I go in the bathroom and clean myself up. 
I come out and James is sitting next to my friend. <laughs> I was like, okay. Well, George Armstrong, and he was head of security that night or at this Dallas Sportatorium. Anyway, that night they were going to have a, a party. Uh, they had George's house, and then six houses over had uh, Carla, a lady, and she was a security guard there too. So we had two houses and ten cases of Budweiser. So a bunch of the boys get invited. This, oh, just So we're drinking all night. Well, we had to go to uh, Louisiana the next day. Well, that night, since somebody, you know, in in the, the in the melee, okay, George's uh, bathroom mirror got taken off of the wall in the bathroom, uh, and then because yeah, I am a river, uh, oh, Bubba Monroe and James Beard uh, both got their fingernails painted pink, and they both crashed out. They both passed out in the living room. So they both had stupid written on their foreheads in a Sharpie magic marker. <laughs> now the only three people are the only, yeah, the only three people that stayed awake the whole night were myself, Dick Murdoch and Randy Rhodes. Dusty's nephew, Austin run, uh, Austin Rhodes. Uh, uh, his name is Mike Childress, uh, but he wrestles under Austin Rhodes now, but he was there. So me, Dusty, me, uh, me, Dickie, and Randy are sitting there. We told him, and we're all laughing. It's like 7.30 in the morning. So kind of we're laughing loud and make noise and woke James Beard up. And James looks around and goes, hey, man, he all hung over. He goes, what are you all laughing at? And I point over at Bubba Monroe. And James stands up, and he goes over there, and, and he's standing straddle of Bubba, and he's looking down at Bubba's forehead, and he's got stupid written on his forehead. <laughs> so James starts laughing, and he turns around, and he goes in there to make coffee. Well, when he started laughing over Bubba, Bubba kind of starts waking up and goes, Hey, man, what y'all laughing at? And that's Sputnik Monroe's boy. Best one of the best wrestlers in the business. Uh-huh. He goes, "What y'all laughing at?" So I point over at James. James turns around with a coffee cup in his hand, and Bubba sees "stupid" written on James's forehead. So Bubba's laughing at James, and James is laughing at Bubba. Well, we had to wrestle in Thibodeau, Louisiana, that night. <laughs> so I was riding with James. Well, everybody goes to the bathroom and everything, but there's no mirror in the bathroom. Oh, wow. We leave Dallas, Texas, headed for Thibodeau, Louisiana. Okay, James Beard and I, we stopped in Mesquite first at a convenience store. Oh, gosh. I got to tell you, when you walk in a place with somebody that's stupid on their head, Oh, the, everybody they meet just loves it. <laughs> <laughs> You're the I'm with stupid guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, but uh, anyway, we, but we stopped in Mesquite. We got gas in Dallas as well. We made it to Shreveport. We eat lunch in Shreveport, top off the gas tank in Shreveport, go down to Alexandria. Uh, James stopped at a Walmart in Alexandria. We needed wrist tape. <laughs> and then, and then <laughs> he gets back in the uh, he gets back in the car after getting the tape, and that's when he noticed his fingernails were painted uh, a pale pink. 
<laughs> so now he's trying to chew his fingernails off. We've made so many stops. Now we're late, and now we're driving to, into Lafayette. We're still that little ways from Thibodeau, and he looks in his rearview mirror. Uh, and he's so stupid written on his forehead, and I have been crying this whole time. And then I, he, he wanted to kill me. I said, it wasn't me. It was Murdoch. And I blamed that on on Dickie. After Dickie passed, I went ahead and told James I was the one that did it. I also went and I told Nikolai Volkov that I was the one that put the toilet paper on the back of his trunks when he went out to the Boston oh, Garden. Oh, now, now what the, how did that, the Russian national anthem. Now, now uh, how did this come about here? Uh, I mean, you, 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 tell us a little bit about this rib with Nikolai. Uh, you go from one good rib to another. You're serving him up here before we uh, wrap up. Tell me a little bit about this Nikolai thing. I mean, you're ribbing, okay. you're ribbing Nikolai. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nikolai. Okay. Nikolai and I. We. we you know. We. We were professional. We. You know. We were courteous to each other. Anyway, uh, I was on a plane. I was talking to the stewardess, and I were talking. I, I looked like a rock and roll star, I guess, back then. Anyway, so we're sitting there talking. When Nikolai came up and did a trick, a magic trick with the little sponges, you know, and she opens her hands and she thinks she's got two sponges, but she's got five. So then he does the trick. He's trying to show it to me, and he tried to just embarrass you know me, and and it kind of did uh, because it wasn't balls, you know, sponge balls when I opened my hand up. I was like, oh, okay. So we get to the Boston Gardens that night, and I walk out of the dressing room door, and I see Nikolai he's peeking his head through the curtain, watching out there, and I turn back around and got me about a three foot piece of toilet paper and a band aid. And I put the Band-Aid on the toilet paper, and then I walked by Nikolai, and I tapped him right on the top of his, you know, right on his lower back by the top of his trunks. And I said, good <laughs> luck out there, Nikolai. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't usually do that. And so Nikolai looks at me, and he's like, uh, thanks, Sam. And I was like, yes, sir, a thumbs up and a walk off. Well, Nikolai's match was next. So... Uh, Jim Powers was in the ring. The referee's in the ring. The you know the ring announcers in the ring, and Nikolai walks out there with the Russian flag, and everybody's booing him. And he's walking to the ring, but as he starts noticing as he's walking to the ring, people in front of him are booing him, and the people behind him are laughing their butts off. <laughs> <laughs> so so he goes and he gets in the ring. And he spins his flag around, and everybody sees him. And now he's got seventeen thousand people laughing at him. Jim Powers is on the on the on the in the corner on the on his side, holding his sides. He's laying on the mat. Referee's over there chewing on the turnbuckle. I think it was Howard Finkel was in the ring crying. And Nikolai wants to sing the Russian national anthem. The whole time he sang the song, nobody said USA. They weren't booing him nothing. Everybody just died laughing. Nikolai couldn't <laughs> figure out what it was. I walk back there, but he hit the ropes a couple of times and it came off. Well, anyway, then he had his match. So I walk back in the dressing room and Jake and Duggan are sitting there and they said, you got to buy the beer for a month. I said, what? He said, you did that to Nikolai. I said, no, I didn't do anything. He said, you're buying the beer for a month, and we're telling him you did. You know, that Saturday when that tape played and Nikolai was watching it at the airport on that TV set that you stick the quarters in, the, you know, you had, back then they used to have a row of chairs that you'd stick quarters in and watch the oh, TV. Yeah. yeah, Nikolai, I was sitting across at another gate. I watched Nikolai when he was watching that. He rolled. 
he he wadded that row of chairs up. So, I told him in two thousand and six at the Legends reunion. I told him that I did that. <laughs> so she waited a while for the all clear. Well, I figured it this way. At least I could still outrun him. I could outrun him or whoop him at least now. <laughs> well, that's a, good, to... that's a good way to look at it, I guess. Well, Sam, you know what we got to do because our time is uh, running short. We got to plan something because every few months it's nice to kind of catch up with you and see what's going on with your life. But I want to know around the summertime, you know, summertime we get out barbecue and we got all kinds of burgers. We got sure. ribs and stuff. How about like in the month of June, we'll, we'll record something. Uh, we'll call it Sam's Summer Barbecue Ribs Spectacular. And I want you, uh, in the time that we'll, we'll catch up, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up through the site, we'll catch up and you can share with uh, various uh, stories of some of the, the fun behind-the-scenes life uh, when you know outside of the ring. Uh, and I know that you're notorious for serving up some good ribs, so I was wondering if you would accept <laughs> the proposition, my friend, to be the master chef oh, coming up in the month accepted. of June. Yeah, uh, just invitation accepted, my man. Yeah, and I'd like you to just, if you can, take a second and let everybody hear my song. Oh, absolutely. And we're going to wrap up the uh, show this week with uh, Sam's uh, song, Sam Houston, the musician. And uh, Sam, thank you so much for taking some time out. And again, we'll get the barbecue going in the month of June or maybe July. And thank you so much again. It's always an honor to have you on Wrestling Memories, my friend. Thank you very much, Glenn, and I hope I empower and encourage people, man. Uh, I just want to help. Absolutely, brother. For Sam Houston, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories. Let's enjoy Sam singing this little song.